preaching of your word. Lord, I pray for, our, for all of us this morning that we would be able to celebrate living out the promise that you gave to Abraham. Uh, Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's open up to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 26. Galatians 3, 19 through 26. So as we get ready this morning, we're talking about the purpose of the law. And what's the point? Like, why did God give us the law? If God gave us the promise in, in Genesis 22, when he told a, the Abrahamic covenant that we see in Genesis 22, we come back to... We come back to, so why did God give us the law this 430 years later? He comes back and gives us this law. And now in the Old Testament, depending on who you ask and interpretation and yada, 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 there are 617 laws in the Old Testament. So out of the 617 laws, um, what does that mean for us as believers? Like there are some people who say, well, as believers... We don't live by the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And, and the, the law doesn't mean anything to us anymore. Well, I would say easy, killer. Let's come back to that. Let's talk about what does that look like. What's the purpose of the law? And how does that work with the promise? And how does that work with grace? So to give you an analogy to start off with this morning, I want to I tell you about a buddy of mine named Bert. Bert is a fictional character, but I wish I had a friend named Bert, so I'm going to use Bert. So Bert, I go up to Bert and I say, hey, Bert. Man, I found the perfect woman for you. Bert, she is, her personality is, is awesome. I mean, you're, you're, y'all's personalities would get along great. She is, she is amazing. She is nice to look at. Um, you know, she's, she's awesome. You guys are going to get along great. You're going to have a great date. I've set you guys up on a first date. But, Bert. Don't wear blue. She hates the color blue. Don't take her to an Italian restaurant because she doesn't like pasta. Don't go to the movies because she can't sit still that long. Don't, you know, I give him this list of don'ts, right? I have set Bert up for failure, right? And Bert is not going to like Bertha, right? (laughs) Right? Just, Just roll with it. So Bert's not going to like Bertha, right? Not just because of her name. You know, but simply for the fact that Bert's going to be like, all I have is this list of do's and don'ts. But now if I go to Bert and I'm like, Bert, I have, I have got this, the, the right woman for you. Personality looks, she's a majestic creature. And uh, the Lord is going to bring you together. I just know it. Now, let me tell you, Bert, she loves green, right? So wear, wear your, green, your green button up. Bert, she loves pizza. So take her to that hole-in-the-wall pizza place that you're always bragging about. Hey, then she loves miniature golf. So go and, and play miniature golf, and you guys will have a great night. She loves this kind of music, and she loves live music, and she's like, blah, blah, blah. And so I tell him all these things that she loves. Bert's going to have a great date, right? Because I set him up completely different. If I tell you, if I tell, not you, Bert, If I tell Bert all the negatives and I fill it with negatives, it changes and shapes the way he thinks about this experience. It changes and shapes the way he thinks about this person going into the date. But if I come at it from all the positives, all the things that she likes, all the things, I give him a toolbox to woo Bertha, right? (laughs) Bert and Bertha McDougalforth, right? (laughs) They are going to have a great 
first date, right? Like, it's going to be amazing. But it's because we started with the positive, right? Same thing in your walk with Christ. If you're always focused on the negative, if you're always focused... Like, if you view God... If you view God as he's sitting up in the sky with a lightning bolt ready to just pop you right in the butt when you do something wrong, it's going to change the way you think about God. If you think about God as, and, and then there's the other side, right? If you think about God as this, this loving, gracious God who, who tiptoes on marshmallows and and he, you know, he sneezes rainbows, you know. But if this is the direction you go, you're still wrong. We need a complete picture, right? And so when we talk about God from the perspective of the law, it becomes a lot of don't do this, don't wear this, make sure you get five of these and not two of these, and yada, 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 yada. It becomes this, this very constraining law that no one can keep. We talked about that last week, how no one can keep the law. No one can keep all of the law. There's only been one person in all of history who's ever fulfilled the law, and that's Jesus Christ. Every single human falls short. That's why God gave us the Day of Atonement, right? Was so that once a year before Jesus came, once a year the Jews would have this one day that they would make these sacrifices to atone for their sin. But even the Day of Atonement was a reflection of who Jesus would be, what Jesus would, would fulfill, and what he would do for us in setting us free. So the whole point of it is this, is this morning as we talk about the purpose of the law, and, and even as we talk about freedom in the book of Galatians, my goal is not to give you a list of do's and don'ts, my, li- my, my goal is is for you to see your freedom in Christ and to give you some tools to woo him. Realizing that he's already done everything to woo us to himself. Right? It's about loving God, not, not, uh, not trying to please this angry dictator. Right? So I may be a little bit more animated this morning. If I am, it's for your benefit because I know you lost an hour of sleep. Just a heads up. All right. Verse 19, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned under the coming faith, uh, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law was uh, the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. If you need a reason to celebrate this morning, if you came in under just this heavy burden or weight of life or whatever it is, hear this verse again. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith, 
You are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. That's a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to rejoice. So I just like that. That's why I read it again. The law. The law cannot bring life. It cannot bring salvation. It cannot bring righteousness before God. So all the things that equal your walk with the Lord, life, salvation, and righteousness before God, the law cannot achieve, right? So if you were to follow the law, all 617 of them in the Old Testament, to the best of your ability, you did your very best, you are not guaranteed heaven because you followed the law, right? That's not going to get it because you're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to have transgressions. You're still going to screw up, right? We all do. Just to get you moving a little bit this morning. If you've screwed up, please raise your hand. There we go. All right. So um, we all screw up. So it cannot, if the law can't bring life, it can't bring salvation. And it doesn't make you righteous before God. So righteous, right standing, justified before God. By the law, by the works of the law. If anything, it does the exact opposite, right? It does the exact opposite. It not only doesn't make you righteous before God, it actually shows your failures and your faults before God. So when we look at this, it shows our transgressions in full definition. So I, I talked about the other week about having that, that old box set TV where you had the UHF and VHF and you had, to, you had to turn the knobs to get the color just right. And if you held the antennas right and you stood on one leg and, you know, your, your nose was pointed south, you might, right, get the signal to watch your cartoons. Um, I've never worked so hard for Scooby-Doo in my life. Um, but that being the case... Um, it's the full definition. So think about going from that view. Think about going from that view of God or your sin, better yet, that view of your sin to the 8K Ultra HD super definition of your sin, right? So when, when God comes and he gives this promise to Abraham 430 years before the law, did they make mistakes? Absolutely. They screwed up. We see Abraham screw up multiple times. It's right there in the text. So this, this forefather of the faith, one of the, one of the big heroes of the Bible, we have his mistakes right there to read. All the things that he did, all the ways that he messed up, it's right there in the text, right? So we know that he made mistakes. And even though it's accounted to him as righteousness because he had faith, we still see moments where he didn't have faith and he still screwed up. Praise God, he works with us even when we're faithless and we screw up. So my point with that is this, is that, is that if we, but the law that came 430 years later clearly defines for us, clearly defines for us those mistakes that we make, right? Those things that we do that we shouldn't do. And now we have moral laws that we find in the, in the Old Testament. We have, we have dietary laws, we have... Uh, we have uh, Levitical laws. We have ceremonial laws. We have all this other stuff. I mean, they even had a fashion police, right? Like you had to have tassels on your garment, and those tassels had to be a certain length, and, the, and you had to have phylacteries on your forehead and your wrists and all that. Praise God, we don't do that now. But we have all these different things that we, we still have some remnants of some of those things that we do, but the, the whole point was this, is that no one could live up to it and so as before, you knew you did bad, you knew you had a lack of faith, you knew you could have done better, the law comes in and says, 
here's where you had a lack of faith. Here's how you didn't have faith in this, in this area. Here's specifically where you failed God. Not where you failed yourself, not where you failed everybody else in your community, not where you failed your spouse. This is specifically where you failed God, right? Can you imagine the oppression that would come with that? To know that there are 617 ways that you can screw up today, right? And, and all that oppression just sitting down on you and being preached to you all the time. Every time you go to the temple, it's not, there is that sense of redemption and hope in the coming Messiah. But here's the point. The hope, the hope is in the promise. The hope is in the Messiah. The hope is in what God's going to do to redeem his people. The fear is in the law. The fear is in those things that we've screwed up, those things that we've done wrong, the fear that we have in reprisal or, or punishment, right? That's where the fear exists. Think about the law. I've heard it used as, uh, referred to as a measuring stick, right? It's a measuring stick. You remember, <laughs> we, we went to the North Carolina State Fair this year, and it was fun. We had a blast. But some of the rides that Ben wanted to ride, he would go up to that thing and says, you have to be this tall, he was almost never that tall, right? <laughs> like, I kind of wanted to let him stand on my foot and just do one of these and pick him up, you know? But he was, he was never quite tall enough to go on some of the fun rides he really wanted to go on. So think about it like this. If we, were to, if we were able to take your life and my life and hold it up to that measuring stick, none of us would measure up, right? So if the standard's here, clearly I don't measure up. And if we're really talking about how bad I sin, I'm going to be way down here, Right? So none of us measure up. And so when we think about the law as a measuring stick, it clearly shows us our shortcomings and our failures. But the law is a guardian. He says, the law uh, in verse, um, we'll start 19 again. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. That seed was Jesus Christ. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming uh, faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. It was to show us our rebellion, to steer us back to faith. The whole point of the law was to show you that you couldn't do it. That no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't do it. And so what do we see? We see this pattern repeated over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. Where the people, they love God, they're living for God, they're following God's rules, they're, they're doing everything they can to worship God. And then they start to creep, right? They start to lose that passion, they start to lose that energy, they start to look at other gods, they start to worship other gods. Next thing you know, they stop following God's law, they stop going to temple, they stop making sacrifices, they stop doing all the things that made them faithful, and they start to drift into these other things. And then what happens? Bad things start to happen. Calamity comes on them. They get invaded. They get taken off into captivity. They get all these other things happen. Then what happens? 
In all of this negativity, they give their hearts back to the Lord. God raises up someone to free them, and they go back to Israel. And they love the Lord for a little while. And then they start the process all over again. And we see this process over and over and over. But the law was to show us that in those moments that we cannot do it on our own. That we need God. We need a Savior to bring us back. We cannot just do it by the letter of the law. God accomplished for us in the person of Jesus Christ what we cannot accomplish on our own. And that is paying the debt that is due because of the sin that we have committed. That's what it boils down to. The law shows us our sin clearly so that we can cling more fully to Christ. Rebellion existed before the law. I mean, okay, pastor joke, with a dad joke. Why did Cain kill his brother? Because he was able. That's right. Awesome. No? No? Okay. All right. All right. Well, let me just say, I am sure that more than one of you in this room will repeat that joke later. So, um, so rebellion existed. Rebellion existed before the law. Right? Again, like I said before, we saw it in the life of Abraham. We saw the bad things that Abraham did. We saw how Abraham screwed up. Obviously, sin was at work in Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they ate the fruit, sin entered the world, bad things happened. So rebellion existed before then. And let's say this, let's be honest, your heart is already rebellious, right? Um, my heart is absolutely rebellious, and, 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 and I, was, I was born rebellious, right? That song, Bad to the Bone, that was playing when I came out, right? B-b-b-bad. I'm telling you, it was awful. And so when, when, you know, I came out rebellious, I mean, mohawk everything, just ready to go. Um, and so as I grew up, it got worse and worse and worse. And don't laugh because you're just as bad. You're just as sinner. Um, we, we are naturally rebellious, right? We don't like, we don't like the idea of, of God being sovereign. We want to step into that role of being God as often as we can. We are the captain of our own ships. We are the maker of our destinies. And if you hold to that belief, you are wrong. You are completely wrong. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. And we don't live, we don't really live the best that we could until we're in submission to him and what he wants to do in our lives. So when we live in rebellion, we say, I'm going to do it my way. Oh, man. Let me tell you, Ben, Ben is the picture of rebellion. Let me tell you why. Because his favorite phrase is, I do it. Right? Ben, let me help you get in your car seat. I do it. Hey, Ben, let me, let me get that for you. I do it. Hey, Ben, you don't know how to disarm a nuclear device. I do it. You know, I mean, that's just, that's his, that's his, his phrase for everything is I do it, you know, and he wants that independence. He wants to be able to do it on his own. But part of it is he's got a rebellious streak, right? And he ain't the only one. All three of my kids got it and they got it from their mama. Um, and so, so when we talk about the rebellious streak, we all have it. We all want to buck the system. We all want to go our own way. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And when we focus on our relationship with the Lord as somebody telling us what to do, somebody controlling us, somebody dictating our actions, man, that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But 
when we remember that the Lord is good and his grace and his mercy will endure forever, when we remember that his faithfulness is bigger than our our rebellion, when we remember that his grace is more powerful and bigger than our sin, when we remember his love for us, it becomes easier for, it doesn't become about following rules, it doesn't become about answering to a dictator, it becomes about wooing the one that we love. It becomes, it, it becomes about honoring the God who loved us and sacrificed his son for us. It becomes an act of love. So our obedience can either be an act of love or it can be an act of oppression and that's really up to us how do we want to see god but let's be honest we all have a rebellious streak and so some of us we got to come to terms with that because in our rebellious streak you got to realize you know it's funny because there's times where in ben's rebelliousness when ben wants to rebel and say i do it he looks at me like he wants to take me out you know He's giving me, I mean, he's mean mugging me. He's like, he's like, I do it. And like, he wants to go toe to toe, you know? And my thing is, you really think you're going to win? <laughs> right? I mean, my right leg is literally bigger than you are, you know? Okay, <laughs> you laugh, but when you rebel against God, you really think you're going to win? Come on. You know, when God, and, and praise God that he is, patient and loving and and generous and he does not give us what we deserve he is merciful but how many times have you told god no how many times have you felt the call of god on your life to 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 live out the gospel or to do something that he's calling you to do and you said no and, and we come up, we have all the right excuses, right? Just like all the patriarchs of the Bible, just like Abraham and Moses and everybody else, we have all the right excuses. Oh, the timing's not right, right? Oh, if I could afford it, or if, if you know, if it may be next year, or when I finish this thing, then I'll do this for you, Lord. The reality is, when God calls you, so are you going to be obedient or not? Are you going to be rebellious or not? We all have this rebellious streak. In verse 21, we see where he says, Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. I love the term absolutely not. I'm not going to give you Greek this week. But the term absolutely not, some of your Bibles may say certainly not, um, or just a flat out, flat out no, but Absolutely not. This is a very strong language that Paul is using. If you catch my drift, strong language that he is saying, absolutely not. The law does not nullify the promise. It doesn't contradict the promise. They are not in contradiction to each other. The law absolutely shows us that we need the promise. The law, God's law, the law outlines God's perfection because God is the only one who could keep the law to its fullest extent. So we need God's righteousness to be forgiven for our shortcomings in trying to follow the law. And that's why he sent his son. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So does God's law nullify God's promise? Absolutely not. It's because of God's law that we need God's promise. And praise God, he sent us the promise before he sent us the law. 
Love it. Love it. Love it. The law serves the promise, not the other way around. We got to remember that. Imprisoned under the law, but free in Christ. Abrahamic covenant focuses on the blessing. The Mosaic covenant focuses on the curse. So we see that we get this sense of curse as well um, in this passage. And we saw it last week where he says, Cursed is everyone who does not do everything in the law. Cursed is everyone who does not fulfill the law or do everything that is in the law. This curse that comes from it. The promise leads to life. The Abrahamic promise leads to the blessing. He says, he said, blessed is everyone who comes from you and who blesses you. And cursed will be everyone who curses you. But he also says, the world will be blessed through your seed. That is part of the Abrahamic covenant is that there is one who will come out of you. And everyone, the world will be blessed through this. And that is Jesus Christ. So in the person of Jesus Christ, all of us are blessed. How are you blessed? I am not going to do some platitudes about, you know, you have air to breathe. You were able to see the sun this morning. You can hear the birds. No, that's not it. It's that you don't burn a fiery pit for eternity. The reality is we, people don't like hell. People don't want to talk about hell. They don't want to talk about the reality of hell. Hear, hear me now. The two biggest things that Jesus talked about the most in the Gospels, hell and money. Two things that preachers want to stay away from like they are the coronavirus, <laughs> right? So let me say this. Hell is a reality, but so is heaven. Heaven is a reality. And God bought us that reality through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that while we deserve hell, he offers us heaven because of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. That if we would submit our lives to him, if we would acknowledge our sin, surrender our lives to him, and live out the gospel, we will be saved. If you believe, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's the difference between heaven and hell. It's not, it's not academic, it's not difficult, it's not a, this huge equation, algorithm, yada, yada, yada. It's simply faith in Christ. We are saved by faith, through grace, in Christ. That's it. So when we talk about does the law outweigh the promise, absolutely not. God, Abrahamic covenant focuses on blessing, Mosaic covenant focuses on the curse. God's blessing is so much bigger than the curse that we put ourselves under. Think about it like that. When we, when we continue to live in sin, we are living in rebellion. Let's also say this. As most of you know, if you've been here quite a bit, you realize that I am not PC, right? I'm going to call a spade a spade. So I'm going to call gossip sin, right? I'm going to call gossip sin. Lying is a sin right? Divorce is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. On and on and on and on. We could talk about what all these sins are, but I'm going to call it what it is. It is sin. It is a shortcoming. It is that for which we need Christ to save us. There is not one sin that I listed that you cannot be forgiven for. There is not one sin that you have committed that you cannot be forgiven for. And if you have been forgiven, this isn't to, to weigh you down by throwing your past in your face. This is simply to say more reason for us to rejoice in Jesus because of his goodness and what he did for us on the cross. Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Verse 22. 
But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Here's the point. When it says scripture imprisoned everything under the power of sin, is this, is that you can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. No matter what we do, sin is everywhere. Think about it like this. You have not seen anything in all of creation that has not been marred by sin. When you look at the most beautiful sunset, when you look at, um, I don't know, fall. I love fall, right? Like when you look at things that you think are beautiful, right? It's still marred by sin. No matter how gorgeous the colors, no matter everything we know has been marred by sin because all of creation was tainted by sin. And every single person in the history of the world, including everyone who exists right now, has sinned, has been touched by sin, and has a debt that must be paid. And Jesus Christ shed his blood so that every single one of us could be saved if we would put our faith in him. And it says that faith is, faith is the basis for that righteousness. Before, the, before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. If you want that promise, if you want to live out that promise, it's not because you earned it because you can't. It's not because you've been good enough because you aren't. It's not based on any merit that you have. Praise the Lord, it's not based on us. It's simply based on faith in Jesus Christ. That if we put our faith in Christ, we can be recipients of that promise. And let me say this. I do mean to beat a dead horse on this one. Because I fully believe that in this room, there are those who are still putting their faith in the old way of doing things. They're still putting their faith in trying to be good enough. They're still putting their faith in trying to earn God's favor. And the reality is God gives his love and favor generously to those who believe. You will not get good enough. You will not earn it. But he gives it freely if you put your faith in him. For we are no longer under the guardian. This is it and I'm done. Verse 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the point. Hear me now. Remember that analogy I gave at the beginning? We are all Bert and Bertha. Every single one of us is Bert or Bertha. Right? And how you choose to perceive God is completely like that analogy at the beginning. If you are under the law, if you are under the penalty of the law, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are still under the penalty of the law and you still live in a system of do's and don'ts and, and you're still being confined by that system. You will be judged. I will be judged. But when I am judged, I won't be judged on my righteousness. I'll be judged on Christ's righteousness because I put my faith in him. If you have not put your faith in him, you're still under that law. You're still under that, that judgment in that one for your abilities, for what you've done. But then there's the other one. 
that if you are in faith in Christ, then this relationship isn't built on a hand-slapping do and don't. It's not based on a hell-burning do and don't. If you've put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ, it's a love story where he has, he has made the ultimate sacrifice to woo you to himself. He has made the ultimate sacrifice to have you with him for eternity when he shed the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, that if we would just believe and put our faith in him, we could have eternity with him in heaven. That's the reality. That's exactly what God's word teaches. So do you, do you see God as this, as this lightning bolt carrying dictator ready to zap you if you do anything wrong? Or do you see the loving father that, that has, has paid the greatest price to spend eternity with you because he loves you, he values you, he knows you intimately. That's what it all boils down to. So this morning, as you, as you process where you are, the invitation is, is twofold. I think sometimes people wait for the invitation to have this big, you know, when we get to the part where I give you an opportunity to respond. Let me also say, too, while I narrow it down to one, two, or three things, you can respond as the Holy Spirit leads you, okay? But I want to give you two things to think about. The first one is this. As a believer, as someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is, who is living out this grace, who is, who is living out the promise as a recipient of the promise, this morning... The only thing that I'm really, maybe it's been a long time since you've done this. I just want you to celebrate. I want you to celebrate that grace. I want you to give thanks to God. If you need to come up here and, and get on your knees and pray and, and pour out your heart to God and, and rekindle that relationship and tell him how much you love him and how thankful you are, then do it. If you need to sing this song about being free forever, amen. If you need to sing that song with all that you are, I hope that you will bellow out these words. Not from a place of just singing with people next to you because you're singing to your creator who loved you and made you and saved you. This morning, if you've been trying to be good enough, this is the second one. If you've been trying to be good enough, if you've been trying to measure up, if you've been, been trying to earn your way to heaven and you realize that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, let's talk. Just come up and see me and we'll have a conversation and we'll talk about what it means to start this walk of faith with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. Lord God, I thank you so much for just the way that you've saved us, for what you do in us and through us. God, I thank you for just your many blessings. I thank you for the promise. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. God, I pray that if there are those in this room that need to have that fire rekindled, that, that maybe they, they haven't celebrated, maybe they haven't worshipped with the, the enthusiasm and the, maybe the awe. God, maybe we've lost sense of awe of who you are. Lord, I pray this morning that you are just rekindling those relationships and calling people to a deeper walk with you, that they would go out into the world and tell people about who you are and how you love them. Lord God, if there are those in this room who don't know you, who, 
who are ready to take that step of faith and put their trust in you. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to step out as we, as we sing to start that faith relationship. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand and respond as the Holy Spirit leads you this morning?